Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. So I'm here with Rich Broderick, and I met Rich um, through my certification for meditation as a meditation instructor. Um, and I noticed Rich because his questions were always uh, insightful, and I would they would say, hey, "Do you have any questions?" And I never would, Rich. I would never have a question because I was just receiving new information and processing. And then you would ask a question, and I was always elevated. So, a thank you for that. Sure. And B, I say all of that because this is my getting to really know you. We were part of this class and, you know, I don't think we know everybody's journeys for sure in our class. Right. So the only and I thing found I yours know, kind of interesting also. Well, thank you. The, the one thing I know is that this is not new for you. You know, a lot of what we were talking about was really new for me, even though I've always, you know, I've read different books and I've kind of been a seeker. I haven't delved into meditation as a practice, except to shut my eyes for one or two minutes every morning. That was my practice going in. So welcome to Soulful Connections. Thank you. And, and it's really good to be here. I'm really excited about this. I'm so happy that you're here. So can we just go back and start? So I saw that you worked in the automotive industry. Correct. I spent uh, 30 years um, in the automotive. Well, I, I say I, I spent a 40-year time frame in a 30-year period. Okay. Because I was always there. Like okay. most sales jobs, you know, it's not a nine-to-five type of right. operation. You're there when the customers are there. I was in sales for 10 years and then 20 years I was in the financial end of it where I was the guy that took the money. So I was everybody's favorite. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and you know, that kind of leads the, the business itself that I was in the, the auto business, the car business is a very stressful. It's very, um, uh, it's got a very high turnover rate. Um, and so, um, you know, in looking back at it, I really, really loved my job. Uh, I felt like I was very effective at it. Um, and I always like to tell everybody that in the 30 years that I was in the business, I never sold anybody anything. My philosophy was always, um, I'm going to help you through this process. You tell me what your wants and needs are, and we'll see if I can't meet them. If I can't meet them, that's not a problem on my part. You know, it's not because I didn't try. So it, uh, it did alleviate 
a lot of the the mental stress of the job having that outlook on it um so and that's how i got through it and i think i was relatively successful i would say that in the 30 years i probably touched 30,000 deals over that period of time and um i may be conservative on that but that would probably be a minimum well that doesn't feel like it lends itself to meditation in all honesty can you talk about your own journey to okay. where you are today in terms of meditation where i am today or how i got here how you got there okay how did how you know was it that whole time through when you were in the automotive industry were you no okay you know, i so we'll go back to 1970 i got out of high school it was during vietnam and i had a couple of options which uh you know i thought i would take the least painful of all the options and i enlisted in the navy because i felt like that would be the least likely branch to send me to vietnam and if i didn't enlist i was worried that i would be drafted because the draft was going on at that time so i went in the navy and uh, of course uh, as luck would have it uh, i went directly to vietnam <laughs> oh my gosh uh, well and so that's the downside the upside is i was in the navy and i was stationed aboard an aircraft carrier and every aircraft carrier in the Navy's fleet in, in the United States carries an admiral with it. So admirals are very well protected. So the ship that I was on was a very well protected ship. Um, I worked on the flight deck, which was the most dangerous place to work in the, in the Navy, pretty much uh, one of the most dangerous places, I will say, because the planes are taking off and they're landing and that kind of thing. Um, I ended up doing two tours of Vietnam, but while I was in the Navy, I did a lot of reading and I read a lot about um, mid or Eastern religions. I read a lot about Zen. I read the autobiography of uh, Yogi uh, back in that time. Uh, yeah. Another influential book was one my mom actually gave me, which was uh, The Prophet by Cahill Gibran. Uh, and so I was looking into all that stuff. At that time, the Beatles had gone over to India and they were with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And I looked into that. And when I came back in December of 73, I was being ready to be discharged. And I went to an introductory lecture to uh, Transcendental Meditation. I got out in December of 73. And in January of 73, I was back in Columbus, Ohio, where I, I was born and raised. And I went to another introductory lecture here. And then I um, did the, the course. And I was a student at the time. So I got my mantra. And the rest, they say, is history. I started yeah. meditating twice a day. And I've been over almost 50 years now pretty consistent with that meditation practice. It's, it's something that <clears throat> it would never leave me. Yeah. Um, and I think I might've told this story in, um, on, um, in one of our, um, classroom meetings that 
you know, I was so excited about it. I just thought it was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. I'm telling all my buddies about it. And, you know, this is something you got to do. It'll calm you down. It's better than smoking pot. It's, it's so good. And after about two months of that, they came back and they said, Rich, you need to give it a break. <laughs> you're just, you're just too, you know, we don't want to hear about it anymore. So I, I pretty much backed off that and, and, and I kind of went into, okay, this is my thing. I'll do it. I'm not going to, if somebody asks me about it, I'll tell them about it, but I'm not going to get too crazy about it. Yeah. You know, I will say it's interesting because I do find when you talk about things or when anyone talks about things like consciousness and, um, you know, anything on that level people don't just dismiss it. They actually kind of get angry. It's a very interesting thing that I've been noticing lately. It's, it, you know, there are all sorts of different schools of thoughts about a host of things, but there is something about when you talk about, um, when you start going, delving into, I guess the philosophies of ancient sages and, um, you know, what is, molecular and what is what are atoms and what is who are we people have a like a visceral response have you noticed that um i have not but uh you know it's i i kind of travel you know i, I don't bring it up with so many people right uh that i would notice that and the people that i do bring it up with that i approach about it are those people that are somewhat like-minded. Right. Right. Okay. Same. So um, what was your, what was your background leading up to the spiritually? What was your spirit? How are you raised? And that uh, I ask you that because Rich, it's so interesting that your mother gave you the prophet. Um, I don't at, think everybody's mother. Yeah. That's, that's kind of interesting. My mom uh, is funny. Uh, Cause my mom, always felt like she would she would make the comment that I was an old soul. And sometimes she would call me Paul because she's like, you know, you're just you're so conservative with the things that you do and the your the the way that you look at things. And she goes, you're just, you know, you're just mature beyond your years. Um uh, and so maybe I was, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that was just her perception of me. And that was uh, an interesting book to give me at that time, especially when I look back on it, you know, from this point back, it was such mm -hmm. a significant book to, to read at that time when I was yes. 17 years old. <laughs> yes. I mean, were you the type of family that every Sunday you all got together and you went to mass or church or did you have a spiritual life as a family? You know, I was raised Catholic, but my mother, when my, my brother was uh, born, he was baptized. When I was born, my mom did not baptize me, have me baptized. She wanted me to be able to choose the religion that I wanted to practice. And at 11 years old, I chose the Catholic religion. I look back at that. And one of the reasons that 
and to this day that I chose that, and I'm still an active participating Catholic, um, is that uh, the lineage back to Christ. So, you know, I mean, you don't have to agree or disagree with it, but there is a lineage there. Um, and I don't negate what anybody believes. Um, I think that my meditation practice has enhanced my uh, religious affiliation with the Catholic Church. Um, I think it's been, you know, very insightful. You know, when I listen to things, uh, when I do go to church and I listen to the sermons that they give, I think it's enhanced by my meditation practice. So interesting. First of all, can I just say your mother sounds so interesting to me? Oh, you have no idea. Her <laughs> what name was she Rose. Like? Rose. Her name was Rose. Uh, well, <laughs> her she she went by Rose. Um, I'm not going to tell you what her birth name was, but because she would get mad and she'd be <laughs> jumping all over me about it. Um, and she has passed, by the way. So, okay. um, yeah. but she, we called her Ramblin' Rose. And my mom worked in the restaurant business, which is a very hard business. She was a waitress. I never saw my mother on Mother's Day. She was always working. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she, <laughs> the best the best story i can tell you is in about 1975 74 or 75 my mom felt that she had a lump in her breast and she went to the doctors and the doctors wanted to um wanted to do a biopsy and when she went in for the biopsy i was in the room with her and she, uh, the doctor wanted her to sign a, um, a release that would allow them, if it was cancerous, to do a mastectomy. And my mom's response was, I'm going up with two and I'm coming back with two. <laughs> and it was benign. Thank God. I was just going to say, thankfully. <laughs> right. Uh, but that just gives you a little insight into, you know, and she would not, it was, you know, there was no, everything was black and white for the most part with my mom. Uh, right. And she was a very strong willed woman uh, for, you know, and of course, you know, when I did get married, um, my mom and my mom respected my wife behind her back. <laughs> she, but, when they were when they were together, she could always find an issue here or there, and it was always a tit for tat type of thing. But if anybody ever said anything about Elaine, she would just go off on, you know, she's an awesome decorator, and she's just a she's a wonderful wife, she's a wonderful cook, she's you know, she's everything is, yeah. you know. But <laughs> oh, my well, mom, she was, sounds fascinating because she sounds like she's complex, like all human beings. I mean. Yes very complex that, the woman you just described to give you the profit and then you're raised catholic i mean my my parents were similar i was raised catholic and um but we always talked about larger life things and larger aspects um of spirituality but it is very interesting that she has this kind of toughness and also she has to have been somewhat reflective 
yeah. So my dad died when I was 10 and, um, you know, it was, that was a bit of an issue because there wasn't anything left. There was no life insurance or anything. And, and she, you know, would, you would ask her and she was pissed about it. You know, she, you know, a lot of times she had a chip on her shoulder that, you know, everybody's against me and woe is me. And, you know, so she, she would make the comment that, my dad left her with two kids in the United States to raise them in. So, so that's she was. Yeah. So how do you think having lost your dad at 10 shaped you? What impact did that have? That had a big impact. Um, I was always in growing up. I was always jealous of other kids that had dads. Uh, and see the influence of uh, a male figure in the family. Um, And that probably lent itself to the fact when I did get out of the Navy in 19, I was, it was 1977, I became active in Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Nice. I was active in that for 15 years until I had kids. Um, And, uh, you know, so I, I feel very strongly about father figures, and I feel like that's a huge breakdown mm-hmm. in the family s- structure in the country. I mean, you can just see it on a daily basis almost, and it's it's heart-wrenching to me uh, to see that, you know, and I really, there's, you know, you, you, and I, I just feel strong about a male influence in a, in a boy's life. I just think that's so important. And a, and a girl's life too. She's got to have a dad, you know, dad's yeah. got to be around there. So, yeah. you know, that's just the way yeah. I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. That is a really, I, I love that organization as well. And do your kids practice meditation? So, and now that brings me to the story of how I got involved with the Chopra organization. Um, my youngest son, um, so both, and the other thing was, Elaine and I tried for a number of years to have kids and we couldn't have kids. So we ended up having to buy them. And we adopted, uh, Colin was uh, an infant. And um, there's a story behind this. We, we, um, you know, couldn't have kids. And we looked at uh, in vitro, but back in 92, in the early 90s, it was, you know, statistically, it just wasn't happening, not anywhere near what it is today. And uh, we had talked to a number of people and we decided that we would uh, try to adopt. So a friend of ours came over and he said he adopted a child and he said, basically, you're going to market yourself just the way you would market a car, except now you're going to market yourself and you're going to get this before the Internet. So you're going to mm-hmm. get RL Polk deal and you're going to look at every OBGYN in the state of Ohio and you're going to send them all out basically a resume and promote yourself if they have a child or a young lady that's, um, you know, looking to for a, an adoption that they want to have the child. And so, you know, we started telling all our friends, you know, that we wanted to adopt. If you hear of anything, let us know. 
Well, this one gal that we know, she's a hairdresser. And one of her clients came in and said her daughter was pregnant and they were going to give it up for adoption, that she would have the baby. Again, it's a good Catholic family. Um, abortion was not an option for them. So their attorney got in touch with our attorney and um, Colin was born October 10th of 1992 and he came home and this is kind of a funny story um, on the 19th we went to pick him up October 19th and uh, he, because they didn't have the home study complete they had to get that completed um, so we ended up going down to the attorney's office he was going over to the courthouse to get the baby the mom would sign off on the baby and we're there at like eight o'clock in the morning and he said, I'll go over and then I'll be back with the baby. Nine o'clock comes, 10 o'clock comes, 1030, there's a call. And the attorney says, we've got a problem. Uh, the baby was in a uh, foster care, a private foster care. And the uh, foster parents noticed that it appeared that his uh, feet were clubbed. And my response to that was, well, so what do we do? And the attorney said, you will have a, a doctor do an evaluation and see what needs to be done. The doctor will give you a report and then you can decide whether or not you want to move forward with the adoption. I said, well, if Elaine had given birth to this baby, what would be our options then? And he said, well, the baby would be at home. And I'm like, bingo, let's bring the baby home. We'll deal with those feet. Wow. Still gets me emotional. Yeah. Uh, they brought the baby home. His feet were fine. We put them in these, you know, they look like two uh, left feet on each foot. And he had those on for about six months. And uh, he, wow. uh, he was such a fast runner. I wish he would have done track. He could run so fast. Um, and so that's how, so then, you know, I'm meditating every day. Colin is now, you know, nine years old. And he says to me, dad, I'd like to meditate with you. So I looked into TM, but TM was so expensive. I thought, you know, I can't really afford to do that right now. And then I looked into um, other mantra based meditations and I'd read some books by Deepak, uh, so I knew about that. So I started researching it. I found that there was a teacher who's like lives two miles away from me. And so I called her up and I said, my son wants to learn. And she said, oh, okay, no problem. Well, in the meantime, Colin was born. Uh, he was three years and three months old. And he came down with bacterial spinal meningitis. And he was in the hospital for 10 days. He came out of the hospital and he was fine, except for the fact that it wiped his hearing out. So he could not hear at all. Um, profoundly deaf. So, you know, they kept the doctors, well, it might come back. It might come back. So we uh, eventually... The final straw, we took them over to OSU Hospital and had them do an evaluation. And the head of audiology said to me, 
in my in Elaine that you know if you want him to hear the only option is going to be a cochlear implant and I the the guy says I promise he'll be able to hear a horn honk he'll be able to hear a train coming which you know for a, a parent you just want this from the safety standpoint of it you want him to be able to be aware of that so because I did not I did not want him operated on I'll be the first to say that well, right. when we decided on that, the deaf community came out of the woodwork. Um, you know, you don't need to do that. He's not broken. He can sign. And I'm like, well, you know, if he needed glasses, I'd put glasses on the kid. If we have this ability, let's let's do it. So he was um, he lost his hearing in January of '96. In December of '96, we had the implant, the surgery done. And then it was turned on in January, almost a year to the day that he lost his hearing, that he became deaf. Um, we had the implant turned on. And during that period of time, he had completely lost his speech because he couldn't modulate. So there was, you know, I mean, he was like a wild man around here. We couldn't communicate with him. Right. And, uh, he uh, eventually, the speech came back. He is probably in the 99 percentile as far as his speech. I mean, if you heard if you heard him talk, you'd say there's nothing wrong with him. But if you spent time with him, you know, he sometimes he you've got to slow down with him because it still has to process through his brain. And so <laughs> when when Tammy, who's the primordial sound teacher that we went to, she found that she was like, oh, OK, I don't know about this now. And she called Chopra and Chopra said, this will be fine. You just do the same process. And so he went through the process. He got his mantra. We meditated for about a month. And he said, dad, this is boring. I don't <laughs> want to do it anymore. I'm like, that's fine. You've got the information. It's always mm -hmm. going to be there. It's not going anywhere. So if you want it, it's always going to be available to you. And so in the meantime, I've been, I started going over and uh, doing group meditations with the uh, primordial sound. And I ended up getting my uh, mantra and we do group meditations. And then over the years, the group meditations have fallen off until, you know, it was just me and her. And I didn't really feel, you know, hundred percent comfortable about that. So I said, well, whenever a group is coming, I'll come. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. And wow. so that's how I got my mantra. Uh, I know that's, and that's how Colin, and now my other son, Connor, he's got no desire to, you know. Yes, I do. I understand that. Yep. yep. So, yeah. and that's fine, yeah. you know. And and right. Elaine, she's done the 21 day meditations uh, on occasion, uh, not very often, but here's the thing. And, and my philosophy on this is that I'm meditating in the house. And if you've got 1%, the Maharishi effect, you know, it does affect everybody else. And, you know, things for them. <laughs> that gives me chills, are, actually. Yeah. For the most part, things are pretty calm, but, you know, of any course. family dynamic there's always issues. I mean, of course, oh my God, you know, and when you have yeah. little kids, you got little problems and now I've got big kids. 
A hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that's kind of part of why we're here to figure that out. And, you know, these right. our relationships are just, you know, our best teachers. Exactly. Exactly. So, very good. Very well put. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I have, I, I sporadically, my husband will meditate with me. Um, but he's like, he's got a small window. <laughs> I can't force it any longer than he's, you know, so. Right. And that's fine. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think anything is better than nothing. And like you said, that one person is doing it. I think that there's a power and I didn't know how powerful it was. I, I actually knew that it, that meditation was an important part of my life, my approach to life. And what I called meditation was my one to three minutes, you know, in the morning or at the end of a yoga class in Shavasana. Um, but I couldn't have even articulated why I thought. I thought it was really because I'm not a pauser. I do everything very fast. I have a very East Coast mentality. It's movement and words and more words. And so I thought, okay, well, it gives me a pause. And I do need to pause. Mm -hmm. But it is more powerful than that. Um, what about, you know, you talked a lot about the books that you read on the boat. Do you have a book specifically that is really impactful that has served as kind of a guide for you? Well, the one that I keep pulling out is the... Um... Is the um, the seven spiritual laws of success. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. I reference that. Uh, that's by the bedside. So that, you know, certainly the Bible is a good. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, I've read so many of the the Chopra books. Uh, yeah. I can't say that there's one that, I mean, I just love reading. I, I do a lot of audio books now because it's, I can, it seems like I can get, get through a lot more, more books. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 You talked about one, I think it was like two people. Oh, it was Deepak Chopra and maybe his brother or something. It's, and that was, I, I looked that up after uh, that uh, uh, class and it's called brotherhood and his brother is a really interesting guy but it also gives you some great insight into deepak and him going through the uh the tm movement and what he went through and how maharishi wanted really wanted him to take it over oh uh, interesting yeah and he just didn't uh he didn't didn't feel right about it and i don't know what the you know it doesn't go into any detail why he didn't um but it might be a, a good book to revisit uh, yeah that one and um the other one that i think is a good book on the to get insight into the tm movement is um uh, thoughts from Oh, I'm going to forget the name of it now. Uh, but it's about this girl who was raised in Fairfield, Iowa, which is where uh, 
Maharishi International University is located. Um, it's a real good book, and she's a she's an actual writer, and the experiences that she's had, and especially in doing some of the advanced techniques, uh, which uh, the Chopra organization does. You can get the same ones through the Chopra organization also. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know how they're going to do it now because they're not. It was through Seduction of Spirit, which was their uh, premier uh, retreat that they did. And I went on that one a couple of times. And that right. was a good one. Um, so how would you say, what is the importance of meditation in your life? Like, who would you be without it? Or who, maybe you don't even know that, but who are you with it? How has it impacted you? Why do you continue to do it? Well, I, I think the the most insightful thing I can say about that is I don't do it for the meditation. I do it for the effect that it has on the outside and my relationship with everybody else and how I think it's opened my mind to listen. Number one is to listen to others and to, you know, I mean, when I'm listening to someone I believe in what they are saying to me. I don't necessarily, um, I'll take it in, I'll do my own evaluation on it. And then if I believe that, you know, it's positive, I'll go with it. If I don't, if I think it's negative, I'm going to just let it go. Just kind of like the thoughts during meditation, you just let them go. Love it. And I mean, I, I can't imagine not, having a day without it. Um, yeah. I know there's, uh, to listen to some people, they interview people who do meditation. And one of the ones that I, I listened to was Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, he's a real active, he's very active in doing TM. Yes. And uh, he made the comment that for years, he just would meditate in the mornings. He just never felt the need and then he got talking to uh, one of the teachers, a guy by the name of Bob Roth, who's a very well-known TM teacher. And the description was, you know, doing a meditation in the morning and not doing one in the night is like treading water. You know, you're staying afloat, but you're really not getting anywhere. So you really need to do that second meditation. You, that, that second meditation is really going to help you. And, you know, it's really kind of a lift if you do it in, and I typically will do it between four and seven in the evening, uh, try and get it in the early afternoon if I can. Uh, but it, it makes a difference. It does make a difference. So yeah. it's something you want to do. You want to make sure that you do it twice a day. Yeah. What about, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about purpose i've been thinking a lot about what it you know what my purpose is and i've been talking about it with a lot of people do you think about that do you have any kind of thoughts about your own purpose your own mission so to speak um so yeah and when i was reading over your uh these the questions <laughs> um the the purpose my purpose, and I think 
on a very, very base base level is to help others. And there in, I'll never forget this. Uh, in 1979, I went to a success. It was called a success seminar is what it was called. And it was all these people who were motivational speakers. And the last motivational speaker in 1979 was a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar has a signature um, saying that he always said, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll be financially taken care of. And, you know, I was, you know, in my 20s, you know, 26 years old. And I'm like, man, that I just couldn't get my head around that. And after the seminar, they had a meet and greet and I got to meet him. And I said, I, I just, can you just elaborate on that? And he said, I don't care what you, what kind of work you do. I don't care what you Most of the people that were there were either insurance salespeople or in, um, financial um, planners, or, you know, there were people in the car business that were there. He said, if you help somebody get what they want, even if it's not related to what you do, I promise you overall, you're going to be financially taken care of. And I, that's something that's always kind of stuck with me and how I made it through the car business for 30 years without, you know, imploding and, you know, getting burnt out. Um, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I went back and told my boss, I'm not going to sell cars. I'm just going to help people get what they want. And he said, Rich, you'll be looking for a job in three months. Three months later, I was salesman of the month and I never looked back in the car business. <laughs> so just, just, uh, you know, just a very basic, I'm here to help. And it makes total sense. I've been financially taken care of. <laughs> it actually does make total sense on many different levels. Actually. I, I really love that. Um, I love to ask people, what is probably a hard question. And if you answer just instinctively, my question is always what change, if you could make a change in the world, what change would you make? If somebody said, here, Rich, you have a magic wand, but you only have it for the next minute. <laughs> what would you do with it? I would probably want people to listen with an open mind just listen with an open mind you know my way is not the only way and you know in your way is you know there are many paths to get to where we want to get to um and you just have to listen listen you can take you can gain so much i would wish that on you know and especially now, I mean, it's, it just seems everybody's so divided and I don't have a problem respectfully listening to other people. It always, I mean, if there's anything that gets me upset about that is that when I express a view, I'm not expressing it to you personally. I'm expressing it to you as a view. If you come back to me, because of my view and you make it personal, 
that's I that's I find that disturbing. I uh, I agree. I don't I I can't get I can't get through that. And so if I shut people down and I don't want to be around them, it's because they're making everything personal, and it's not yeah. personal. You know? Right. I mean, I, and everything doesn't have to be an argument. You know, it can be, and that's when it starts to get personal. It really can be um, an expression. You know, we can't really change things unless we discuss them. And oftentimes, even on this podcast, I will be talking about something that I feel ill-equipped to discuss. You know, I, I'm not a therapist or an expert in anything. And sometimes I'm quite aware that I'm responding with awkwardness or maybe I'm going to say the wrong thing. And, but I think if we're not willing to do that and to kind of give each other a little mercy, yeah, I don't know how we kind of go forward, you know? Right. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I really love that. I really love yeah. that. I'm in an organization and I'm, I was active in it for a while and I've, I've, I've not been active, but I still get their emails and everything called braver angels and braver angels tries to bring, um, Democrats and Republicans together. Oh, nice. And every, every interaction that I've had has always been, man, this is a really nice person. Yeah. I've never, I've never come away from it where I've interacted with anybody in the organization whether they be Democrats or Republicans, that I've I've felt, I mean, they're just they're human and they've got, you know, the wants and needs like we all have. I and love that. There's no there's not really a big, I mean, on that level, you right. know, it's like it's only in the upper levels where we actually get in. And right. So we can't have yeah. that. Anyway. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. You're welcome. The conversation with Rich extended well beyond this podcast, and Rich was able to help me unpack some recent events in a unique and insightful fashion that I think might be helpful to other people. I have a little something up my sleeve, and you may be able to be part of that interaction in the future. As a matter of fact, you will be able to. But for now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and were able to take away something that you can apply to your own life. I appreciate Rich for coming on and I appreciate you for listening. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.